Oh, do it better for Jesus. Do it better not for Jesus. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, this morning, oh God. Manokata Malori Andala Makori Amala Mashundala Rima Lokabalu Andala Mashundala Balu Andala Babalu Ori Andala Makadani Andalu Mashinda Makori Andala Babu Amas. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Makatana Mi Andala Mabu Amala Mabu. 
The rotor is ready, O God. We need your fire, O God. Send down your fire, O God. Send us a place for you this morning. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Makonda baloka brianda la bakona brianda ba. Imaru anda la masonda baduka balabaya We need your presence, O God. In the fullness of your presence, there is joy, O God. Malakada baloka baloanda baloanda baloa. Rima komalaya malokada baloanda ba. As the deer panted for the water brooks, O God. So our soul longs for you this morning. Makada Maruanda Kadana Mianaba. Our soul tests for you, the living God, in the patch and dry land, O God. Malokadana Manokarianda Lama no Hamalamala. Imbarukadana Miandolobo. Ribalemakona Miandalama. Lord, we look to the left and to the right. And we find nobody. We look down and there's nobody around. But we lift our eyes unto heaven, O God. And we look to you, Jesus Christ. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Stay down nearby. I need you, oh, I need you. Please resume our seats. simple prayer, Lord. We need you. We need you. In every aspect of our lives, we need you. This morning, we need you. Oh, that's the sole reason why we have gathered this morning. To express our need for you. Oh, we need you. We need you. We need thee every hour, oh God. Every time, oh God. We need your provisions, oh God. We need your help, oh God. Oh, we need your instructions this morning, oh God. We need your admonition, oh God. We need your training in righteousness, oh God. Oh, we need you, we need you. As the deer panted for the water brooks, oh God. So our soul longs for you. Oh, in this dry land, our soul thirsts for you. Oh, would you quench our thirst this morning, oh God. Uh, fill us, oh God. Descend among us, oh God. And manifest your power in us. 
Oh Lord, that our heart will be at peace, oh God. That we receive from you what you give to your people. Oh Lord, our hearts are before you. Oh Lord, you are, your word has said you'll take away every stubborn and stony heart. And you replace it with a heart of flesh. A heart that will respond to your word. Oh, that heart of flesh is what we need this morning. A heart that will respond to your word, oh God. Oh, that you melt our hearts, oh God. That your word will gain entrance into our hearts, oh God. That the light of your word will drive out every darkness in every corner of our lives, oh God. Oh, that your light will shine abroad on our hearts and on our life, oh God. And guide us to our destination. In Jesus' mighty name, let us shout a big amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a privilege to be here again to worship with you. This is, I, I thank God so much for this opportunity. I thank Pastor for always giving me this opportunity to come here. And I, I, I thank Presiding for giving me the opportunity to also minister to you. It's always a privilege. Amen. Beloved, this morning, God is going to speak to us. And this morning, he's speaking to us through the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. So we're going to look at the parable. So this morning, I want us to look at three major things. We will look at the parable, the meaning of the parable, and we look at its application. The parable, meaning of the parable, and look at its application. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. We will look at the parable in verse 4 to 8, and this is one of the few parables, I think it's only two of them, that Jesus actually gives an explanation. And so we will look at the parable which is found in verse 4 to 8. We will look at the uh, meaning that Jesus gives in verse 11 to 15, and then we will look at how we can apply this parable in our day-to-day -day lives. Amen. Luke 8, chapter 4 to chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 4 to 8. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. So I want us to look at this parable and, and look at the characters of the parable. We see some things come up. So we first see the sower and his seed. So we, we see a sower who is going out to sow some seed. We also see um, the, the different places that this seed falls. It falls on different places. And the different places, uh, we, we have four places, the wayside, uh, the rocky path, the thongs, and the good ground. So this is the parable that Jesus Christ is teaching. You see, the interesting thing about parables is that parables are short and simple you know, stories that illustrate um, a spiritual um, wisdom or a spiritual lesson. It's an interesting thing. Jesus Christ speaks in parables all the time to his people, and sometimes it was very difficult for them to understand. But for these disciples, Jesus Christ told them that, you see, it is for you to understand these things. And so Jesus actually gives them explanations. For us, because we have come to the knowledge of Christ, it is for us to understand these parables 
and apply it to our day-to-day lives. But you see, parables have one major theme or one major lesson that it wants to teach. There are some sub-lessons that we can kind of draw or glean from parables, but it has a major theme. And most of the parables that Jesus talked about, pretty much all of them, um, is in regards to the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. And it was very interesting because the parables, um, if you have a study of all the parables, it kind of shatters the controlling idea about what you think about the kingdom of heaven. So many people have ideas of what the kingdom of heaven is. And then with these parables, he kind of, at the end of the parable, what do you expect for it to happen doesn't happen. It's very interesting. And so at the end of the parable, the takeaway is that, well, you have no idea what the kingdom of God is. And I'm here to teach you what the kingdom of God is. There's actually one book that um, I think was been published. I haven't read it, but I listened to a little bit about, you know, people talking about it. I think it's from Colin Hansen. It was talked about the geniusness of Jesus Christ. And it was in particular to the parable of uh, the lost or the prodigal son. And it's a very interesting parable. We won't go into it. But at the end of the story, you realize that the most, uh, the, the, the common way we explain the parable is not actually what Jesus Christ meant to teach by the parable. Because at the end of the day, you see, one son was lost. And it was the older one. It wasn't the younger one. But these are the things that come up in parable. And Jesus Christ takes a small parable, a short story. And because of his geniusness, sometimes we, we, we tend to overlook how much like, wisdom Jesus had. Like in his parables and his teachings, it was so filled with wisdom, was packed. And so he takes a simple story and he gives, brings a giant revelation from that story that we can continue to glean and continue to learn from each and every time. I have read this story and this parable many, many times, but until recently, when I was studying the parables, I've been in a season, I guess I have different seasons in life, and right now I'm in a season of studying the parables, so I've been going through many of the different parables. And when I, when I studied this, you know, I, I got a very interesting understanding of this parable that I have not even seen before. And that's, that speaks to us about the living nature of the, spirit, uh, of, of the Spirit and also the Word of God. That any time you go to the Word of God, He has something else to teach you and something new to teach you. And so let's go on to see what Jesus, how Jesus explains this parable. And we'll go on to see how we can apply this parable. So verse 11 to 15 talks about the explanation. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and and these have no root. Who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Amen. So now the characters are being explained to us by Jesus Christ, right? So the sower and the seed is the person who is bringing out the word of God. And so the gospel message, so the the seed is the gospel message that he's talking about, the word of God. And you see the different um, places that this seed falls is a representation of the different hearts that receive this word. So the ground is the heart. 
and the different places that receive it. And so we have four different places, which is a characteristic of four different hats, or if you will, four different groups of people and how they interact with the word of God. So the word of God is coming, and they have, there are four different groups and four different ways people receive the word of God. Now, I call the first group, which is, you see, the, the wayside, I call that group the devil control life. Because the Bible makes us understand that these are the group of people when they receive the word, it goes into their heart all right. But before he even gets the chance to, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the person gets the chance to interact with the word, to even believe the word, the bird is a representation of the devil. And the Bible says that the bird comes, takes the word, lest they believe. Which means that these are the group of people whose life are controlled by the devil. And so I call this first group the devil control life. You see, these people, their hearts are bare. They have no protection. And so when the word of God comes, the enemy comes, jumps on it, takes the word from them. It's a very interesting picture that Jesus Christ is painting. You probably will not even think about Jesus actually painting a picture like this. But he's saying that, you see, if you receive the word of God, and, and this is a representation of those who are not saved, the only reason why they are not able to believe the word of God is because there is a devil who comes and takes the word from their hearts. Very interesting picture. Now, the second group is the rock. The rock. And the Bible says that, you see, these people, they are the no-rooters. The no-rooters. They have no roots. And these are the people that I call the shallow religion. Shallow religion. They have some religion, but it's shallow. Because the Bible says that they lack moisture. And because there was no root, when the sun scorched, which is a representation of temptations and trials of life, the Bible says it withered away and it fell away. Now, this group of people is the thorns that the Bible describes. And these are uh, the people who have no fruit. Well, we have the no-rooters and the no-fruiters. <laughs> these are the people that don't bear fruit. You see, and the Bible tells us that um, these people... They receive the word, but the word springs up with thorns and chokes it, so that it's not able to bear fruit. And I call these people the competing priorities. Competing priorities. The group competing priorities. And then we have the fourth category, the good ground. The good ground. And these are the people who have a good world. They receive the word with a good and noble heart. They have a good and noble heart. They receive the word and they keep it. Very interesting. They receive the word, keep it, and the Bible says they bear fruit. Amen. And these are the people that I call true Christians. True Christians. And so you see a little bit of progression here. And at the end of the, 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 the parable, Jesus is trying to get our attention to move from each of these groups to come to the last group. Right, to be a true Christian. So at the end of the parable, Jesus Christ is actually trying to teach us what it means to be a true Christian. What are the qualities, what are the characters that you need to become a true Christian? You see, the first group of people, well, they have no roots, they, they have nothing. They don't even have the chance for the word of God to even, you know, you know they, they don't even have the chance to meditate on the word of God long enough, to sit with the word long enough to cause any change in their lives. Because the enemy comes and takes that word from them. The second group of people, they have no roots. They have no roots. That is their problem. Their problem is they have no roots. The second, the third group, their problem is that they have, uh, they are not able to produce fruit. They have no fruit. They have no fruit. And the last group, they have both. 
they are able to have the good heart, they are able to have the, the good ground, and they are able to produce fruit from the seed. And that is where the Bible is trying to get us to. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, it gives us a description of the first group of people, just as the Bible is telling us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. The Bible says that even, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this is a description. This is Paul describing this first group of people just as Jesus Christ is talking about. You see, this is making us understand that, you see, to be a child of God, it takes Jesus Christ in power. It means that Jesus Christ is, you know, is for, for the first time explaining to us that the people who are not Christians, the people who are out there, you see them and they are not Christians. The only way they, they think they are in control of their life, right? They think they are making solid choices. They think that... You know, they have been able to sit with the uh, evidence of the Bible provided to them and they are making logical reasons why they don't accept and don't believe in Jesus Christ, right? Because when you meet these people, they, they tell you are highly intellectual people, they're able to, you know, reason, they're like, eh, I don't believe in God, I don't think it's true. Science is right, science has proved everything right. But you see, the Bible is teaching us that all that they are saying is, it's not the right thing. Because truly, the only reason why they're not able to be saved is because the God of this age, the devil has blinded them. And until that blindness is healed, there's no way they can see it. And that's why the Bible says that it is a fool that says in his heart there is no God. Right? Because they've already said it in their hearts, so no matter, no evidence will be able to prove or show them anything. And so it means that Jesus Christ is saying that in order for these people to move from their stage to the stage where they become true Christians, it takes Jesus Christ, it takes a power that is stronger than the enemy to be able to overcome what the enemy is doing. And that is why when you say when somebody is not a Christian, their, devil, their, their life is truly controlled by the enemy. No matter what they think, they are the only reason why they are not able to see. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul says, power to move you from a whole different kingdom to a new different kingdom. That is what Jesus Christ is teaching here. The devil control life. Devil control life. Now, the second group of people that the Bible is saying that, you see, these are the people on the rocky path, the shallow religion. Let us look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, the, the, the Bible gives us a very interesting understanding about this. Colossians 2, 6 to 7, the Bible says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. 7. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thanksfulness. So, you see, this is what Apostle Paul is teaching them that, you see, let your root grow in Christ. These people, they had their problem that they had no root. The root had not grown. 
Of course, the message has come to their heart, all right. For these people, they don't have the problem of the first group where the devil comes and steals the word from their heart. So they don't have that problem. But their problem is that the word is not sinking deep down into their hearts. You see, the true test of faith is with trials and persecutions. That's the true test of faith. And so the Bible says that these people, you see, when the seed is sown and it starts springing up, it says that then immediately, it immediately springs up and then the sun scorches. And they are faced the harsh realities of the environment. And the Bible says they fall away. And the Bible is teaching us that, you see, these are the trials and temptations. If you read another version, it tells us the trials and temptations come as a result of the word. You see, the word that is being preached to you carries its own trials and temptations. And you see, these people, the Bible says that they spring up quickly. So these are the people that have an appearance of salvation, yet the Bible is saying that they are not truly Christians. They spring up quickly. When you see them, you think they have life in them. You think they are Christians. Those are the, these are the people that can pass as Christians. We move with them. We go out with them. Probably they come to church every Sunday and they are singing. They are filled with joy and you see them like, oh, wow, these people are Christians. But the Bible says that when temptation comes, when their faith is put to the test, they fall away. They can't stand. They can't stand. Beloved, as we are going through this, and I'm going through the descriptions of these four places and these four categories, I want you to, you know, to, today is just, you know, self-inspection, right? Think about what group you belong to. Am I describing you right now? Maybe you've passed the first stage. Great. But are you in the second stage? Are you in this group? Do you belong to this group? That your Christian journey is like ups and downs. And of course, in a Christian journey, there is a level of ups and downs that we face. But do you find that any time you are challenged, your faith is put to the test, you abandon God and you, you just stop coming to church? Like, I don't, I don't know this. I, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, they told me when I come to Christ, everything will be great. And now I'm going through troubles. I don't think this is what I sign up for. Maybe when things turn out to be better, when, when, when things are better, I'll come back. But not now, no. You are falling away because your faith is tested. You have no root. You have no root. The Bible says the third places are the thorns. These are the people who, you see, the Bible says that they don't have the problem of the first group. They don't have the problem of the second group. But you see, these group are the people where, you see, the seed falls on their soil. So it goes into their heart. So these people, it's actually able to sink down into the depths of their heart, right? They, they have some root, right? And now it is growing. But the Bible says that, you see, other tongues spring up with it. And they are choked by those. And at the end of the day, they bear no fruit. And the Bible says, the cares and worries about this life. Cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. These are the people who have competing priorities. They have so many things in their life that is competing for their attention. You see, this, this tongues that has sprung up, they are competing for the nutrients of the real seed and the real tree or fruit. 
And so that's why no wonder they are not able to bear fruit because the thorns is taking away all the energy. Beloved, do you have competing priorities? Do you have things in your life that are so shrouded and, 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 and hemming you in so that you are not able to grow? You are not able to bear any fruit as a Christian. Is that where you find yourself? Are you part of this group? You see, the interesting thing about this is that, well, with normal statistics, if you come to every group and you draw a normal distribution, you'll find the ends are the extremes and you have the middle ground, right? And these are four, four groups. And if you split this group, well, if I, if I am going to do a survey and I split you, everybody gathered here into these four groups, I will find each and every one into in, in each of these groups, which is a very interesting thing. So it, it doesn't matter whether you are sitting here or not, you see. But the interesting thing is like the extremes, always the end of the extremes are few. But we have a bunch of us in the middle. And so you see, there are very few here who are literally out of the world in the first group. Yes, they are in church, but they are actually out of the world. We will find that here. And there are, in the same way, very few of us who are true Christians. But the majority of us are in this middle. The middle 50%. The no-rooters and the no-fruiters. Now the question is, where do you belong? Where are you? When you read John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 4, the Bible talks that, you know, uh, John was talking about bearing fruit. John chapter 15, uh, verse 4. Um, I'll read. It says that, remain in me and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let us jump to verse 9 and 10. It says that I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. You see, the Bible is saying that, you know, John is saying that, to truly bear fruit is to remain in Christ. Without remaining in Christ, you cannot bear fruit. But the thing is that he's saying that to remain in Christ means to obey his commands. Verse 9 and 10. To remain in Christ is to obey his commands. It means that if you are not obeying the commands of God, you are not in Christ. And you will, you will not be able to bear fruit. So that is the real problem of this third group. Their real problem is that they have difficulty obeying. They have difficulty obeying. That is their real problem. You see, the problem of the first group of people wasn't necessarily about, of course, if you really go deep, you'll find that they have some problem with obedience. But their real problem is that, you see, they, 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 they have a shallow religion. They have no root. They want to do God's will. They have some sort of will to do God's will. They want to do something for God. But because they have no root, when, they are, when, when, when their faith is put to the test, they fall away. But this group of people, this third group of people that the Bible is describing, they're no fruiters. These are the people that they just don't, they can't 
obey God's commands. They don't have what it takes to obey God's commands. And so they are not bearing fruit. Because the only reason why, the only way you can bear fruit is to obey God's commands. Because when you obey God's commands, it means that you are in him. And if you are in him, that means that you are attached to the vine. And so long as you are attached to the vine, you will draw your nutrient from the vine and you will be able to bear fruit. But the scary thing is that the Bible says that those, the, the, the branches that doesn't bear fruit, you will cut them away. So you see, truly, the middle group, you see, the, the no-rooters and the no-fruiters, those are the majority of people you find in churches. Right now, those are the majority we find here. I don't know which one you are. I don't know if you're a no-rooter or no-fruiter, but you are here. But the interesting thing is that, you see, you appear as a Christian. You might appear. You might pass the test. You might say all the right words. When we take a test and ask you all the right questions, you will say all of them. But you see, the Bible says that these people are not true Christians. These are not true Christians. Beloved, are you a true Christian? Application. You see, the first group of people, these are the people who are totally out in the world. Totally out in the world. These are the people that you probably will find in this world and because they are devil-controlled life, they don't even have the chance to or believe in the word of God. Those are there. But today, my main focus is in the middle group. What is the real problem of the middle group? The second group, the ones who have no root, their problem is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Heart. You see, the Bible says that the, the places that the seed fell, fell is a representation of the heart. Right? And the Bible says that that seed in the second group, it fall on the rocky or stony place. Which means that, you see, the heart was a heart of stone. And that is why the seed wasn't able to grow. So their real problem was a heart problem. Problem of the heart. So the word of God is not able to go deep down into their heart to be able to grow. You see... These people, this is their problem. Their solution is that they need a new heart, right? A heart of stone. They need a new heart. Beloved, do you have a heart of stone? Is it difficult for you to grasp the word of God? Is it difficult for you for the word of God to really sink deep in your heart? That it be able to interact and bear fruit? You have a heart problem. And you need a new heart. You see, the Bible says that when, when, when in, in Psalm 51, we will not read it, Psalm 51 verse 10, the Bible says that when David sinned and slept with Bathsheba, in a psalm, that was a prayer of asking for forgiveness from God. And he says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. He realized that he had a heart problem. He realized that the problem is my heart. My heart. And so, Lord, I need a new heart. I need a new heart. A heart that will be able to respond to the word of God. The third group of people, the group of thorns, what was their real problem? Their real problem was they had a problem of obedience, right? As I've already said, they had a problem. But what is true? What was the true problem? It's because they don't have a spirit to obey. That is their true problem. Their problem was they had no spirit. The zeal 
You know, to have the spirit of something, to have the zeal, to be consumed with the zeal and the desire to obey God's word. You see, the Bible says in 1 John, it says, for the word of God is not burdensome. They don't see the word of God as burdensome. You see, these people saw the word of God as burdensome. And so today, they are in church. Tomorrow, they are in the world. One feet is in church, one feet is in the world. So when they come to church on Sunday, they, everything is all right. They light up their, 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 their lights and they are shining so bright. And you see them it's like, wow, you people, you are shining bright. And maybe because you have used your lights the whole week and you are coming here to recharge, your light is a little dim, right? Your light is a little dim, but theirs are so bright. Why? Because when Monday comes, they turn it off. They turn it off. Rather than, rather than coming here to church to recharge their lamps and go out there to shine, they come here to display their light and they go out there and dim it. What are you? Is there a difference between you and the people around you? Because I, t- I trust me, if you are light and you are shining, the, the place in this world, America is a dark place. <laughs> Evil is going on and if you are light and you go there, you will shine. You will shine. People will have problems with you. Even without you seeing anything, they already have problems with the way you are doing, you are acting. Just like, just by existing. It's like they have a problem with you just by existing. Are you trying so hard to fit in that you have dimmed your light just so people don't, don't, don't find anything to say against you? Every conversation, they will have it around you. Everything, they will do it around you. Because you, are, you, you, you have turned down your light. But the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. They had a spirit problem. They didn't have the spirit of obedience. And so their solution is a new spirit. A new spirit. You see, the true Christians, which is the people who were able to receive the word of God, keep it and bear fruit, they had these two things. They had the spirit, uh, they, they, they have the heart and they had the spirit. And so at the end of this parable, Jesus is saying that to be a true Christian, you need these two things. A heart to respond to God's word and a spirit to obey God's word. These are the two things that you need to be a true Christian. This morning, do you have these two things? You see, when you read Ezekiel chapter 36, the Israelites had this problem. I mean, of course, when you read through the Bible and the story of the Israelites, you see that they had a lot of problems. But you see, God, you know, summarized their problem into two. And these are the problems. They lacked the spirit and they lacked the heart. And so Jesus, uh, God addressed them through the prophet Ezekiel, through a prophecy that came in Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, 36. Um, we can read from the 22 down. I love this one so much. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, that says the Lord God, I do not do this for your own sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take... You from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That is God's prophecy to the people of Israel. They, had, they were swallowing in sin. And so they were in captivity. Everything was bleak. Their enemies were, you know, ruling over them. Doing everything, all sort of things to them because of their sin. And they were not able to come out of it. No matter how much they tried, they were not able to do it. You see, and God is explaining to Ezekiel and giving him the prophecies that you see, a day is coming, I'm going to gather all my people together. And you see, their real problem is that they have a stubborn and stony heart. And so they are not able to respond to my word. But in that last day, in those days, I will take away that stubborn and stony heart and I will give them a heart of flesh, a heart that will be able to respond to my word. And the Bible says that you see, their real problem is also because they do not have the right spirit in them. They don't have the spirit obedience and so the bible says that yes in those days i will also give them a new spirit and he says that i will take off my spirit and put in them so that they'll be able to obey he said he says and i will cause them to obey my word you see the bible says that for it is god who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasures it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasures. And so if you're having a hard time doing the will of God, it means that you have a spirit problem. And this morning you need a whole spirit. You need the spirit of God to come and take control over your life. That will cause you to live for him and do his will. And if you are not able to respond to the word of God, the word of God is coming, but it's not able to gain entrance into your heart because your heart is so hard. You see, the Bible says that the deceitfulness of this world, and, and, and because when you see, when you break the commands of God, your heart becomes hard and you keep breaking it. You have broken the commands of God so much that your heart has been so hardened that you are not even sensitive to the word of God anymore. You can't even hear when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to sin. You see, in, in, maybe you can agree with me that before, in times past, when you were going near sin, your heart will be beating so fast and the Holy Spirit will be prompting you. You are going near sin, caution, alarm. But now, you don't even hear it anymore and you can sin without even feeling anything and you think that it's okay. Oh, no, no. It's because you have a heart problem. Oh, that God will give you a new heart. David realized this problem. And so this is the two things he prayed about when he was faced with this sin. You see, this sin, you see, the, the funny thing about David is that he thought he was, he was all right. And that this sin really proved to him what was within him. And so he said, oh, create me a clean heart and, and renew a right spirit within me. Those are the two things he's praying for. I hope that this is the two things you will pray for this morning. That, oh Lord, renew, renew a heart. Great in me a clean heart. Give me a new heart, oh God, and make a new spirit in me. Spirit problem. Let's read uh, Romans chapter 7. It's a very interesting thing when the Paul, Apostle Paul, when he was wrestling with sin. When Apostle Paul was wrestling with sin, uh, Romans chapter 7 and the law, when you read the end it says that, you see, verse 13 down. It says that, um, has then what is good become dead to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin. 
was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might be exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, soul under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Is that true of you? Is this true of you? The Apostle Paul was talking about what was really bothering him. He said that what I will to do, I do not do. But the things that I don't want to do, that is what I do. And he says that, you see, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the Lord that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. This is a man who was hit, battered by sin. He was bruised by sin. He was crying, wanting a way out. He says that for, 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 for to will is present with me. This is the first group of people. For to will is present with me. I, just, I want to do God's will. I want to do it. I want to live for God. Yes, we talk about it every Sunday. That is exactly what I want to do. But how to do it, I do not know. Is that your problem? You don't know how to do. You're like, I don't even know what happens. I tell myself, you see, I break the commands of God today. I said, no, I won't do it again. This is the end. This is the last day. Tomorrow comes, you do it again. You said, this is the last day. The next day comes, you do it again. This is the last day. You keep doing it. Every day is your last day, yet you keep doing it. And it's a come to a point, you say, I don't know what is wrong with me. I just can't do this anymore. But I keep repeating this every single day. That is where Apostle Paul was at some point in his life. And so he says, that for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to good good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a man who was crying in anguish over sin. Oh, what wretched man. He realized he was wretched. I just can't do what I want to do. Oh, what wretched man. I don't know if you have ever gotten to this point where sin has pressed you so deep. Sin has pressed you so much that you find yourself in a place and you don't know what to do. And you look at yourself, oh, wretched man, who can save me from this? Maybe you are crying out. This is your cry. Who can save me from this? Verse 25, it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Beloved, Jesus Christ is a solution to all your problems. Do you have a heart problem? Do you have a spirit problem? The Bible says that anyone who believes in me is a new creation. All things are past. Behold, all things are new. When you believe in Christ, he creates in you a clean heart. He gives you a clean heart. That you will not have that problem anymore. And he says that what? Jesus Christ in John, he says that he breathed on them, received the spirit. And the Bible says that I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send the spirit who will come and be with you. When you believe in this Jesus Christ, he gives you of his spirit and he comes and lives in your heart that you will not have the spirit problem anymore. But now you can do good just as God is doing good in your life. Beloved, what problem do you have? 
Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe in this man. And you won't have that problem anymore. And you will be a true Christian. Amen. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Let's be on our feet. Every hour. Oh, bless.